Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. And we're also making the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people. And this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognise their connection to land, water, community and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders past, present and emerging for keeping the sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. It's so great to be back in your ears again. I have to tell you that I have been going through and am still going through one of the most difficult times of my life right now. I can't say too much publicly, but I will put a video up um, under the paywall of Patreon so those who are subscribers um, can know what's going on. So if I'm a bit all over the place with getting a podcast out, please hang in there with me. It's not deliberate. Um, I am just, just know that I'm doing the best that I can right now. I'd love to tell you about one of our wonderful patrons, Peter Papp. Peter is a small business patron who gets his business promoted on every podcast and on social media pages. And Peter's business is Peter and the Herd, and he works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery, equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter was kind enough to do a reading um, or communication session with me and my mare, Gypsy, or he did it with Gypsy, and I tell you it was fantastic. He told me things that only I could understand. Um, One of the things was how Gypsy would like to have more fun in her life, um, but she completely understands right now. And as I said, I'm going through a really difficult, extraordinarily difficult phase in my life right at this moment. So um, even Peter, who had no idea of what I was going through, he was able to give me this beautiful message from my girl um, that she does know what I'm going through and, uh, and that on the other side, can we have some fun, please? And I'm all for that. So that was great. Um, and Peter doesn't know that. He, this will be when he listens to this podcast as well. Hi, Peter. That'll be the first time he hears this as well of my review of his amazing, amazing work. So Peter was also able to speak to me about um, Gypsy's pain and where it was happening. And a few weeks later, I had an osteo look after Gypsy and she confirmed everything that Peter said um, because of the the places where Gypsy was so tight in her spine, it would absolutely do what Peter said, which said um, she'd have shooting pains running from her nervous system down on the inside and outside of her leg and, and at the front as well. And he was spot on on both of them. So I can personally very highly recommend Peter and his work. And you can find Peter through his Facebook page, Peter and the Herd, or on his Instagram by the same name. Get in touch. Our other small business patron is Belinda Dawes from Journey Equine. Belinda is based on the Gold Coast and can travel to surrounding areas. 
Belinda is a connection training coach who is calm, gentle and very, very knowledgeable trainer. So much so that she's my trainer for me and my girls. So to connect with Belinda, get in touch. And you can do that via her website, which is journeyequine.com. And you can find her on all of the usual socials with Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And both Belinda and Peter's links will be in the show notes and on the blog on my website or the, the podcast page on my website. Now, if you would like to become a patron of this podcast and help bring it back to weekly episodes, then please head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast. This is where you can subscribe for as little as $5 a month and help me get the production costs covered to be able to bring you more content more regularly, especially now because it's a difficult time and to have this to be able to hand off to somebody would be amazing to bring it into something that's really amazing again for you guys. $5 a month isn't that much to you, but it seriously means the world to me. I'd love for you to consider it. So you can go to, one more time, patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast. In this episode, I speak with Caroline Ingraham, who does something completely amazing. It's called Zoo Pharmacognosy. So what on earth is that? Caroline will explain it much more eloquently than I can, but for now, let me just say that it's something that's in the DNA of all animals, domestic or otherwise, and it's the ability for them to heal themselves through offering them plant extracts that would contain the same or similar constituents to those found in animals, the animal's natural environment. This kind of a work really amazes me as this is how I believe we can make a huge difference in the lives of our horses. We just need to know how and understand these things. That's why I love bringing this to you. This is a conversation not only about horses, but also about a baby elephant. Caroline was flown from the UK to Africa to help. And the way she helped was beautiful. And in the elephant, I'm happy to say, and she's happy to say too, made a full recovery. So grab a cuppa, enjoy the drive to your horses or wherever you're going or whatever you're doing and enjoy the amazing Caroline Ingraham. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me and letting me uh, share information on applied zoo pharmacognosy. Oh. It's so exciting. So zoo pharmacognosy is one of the things that you do. Is that the main thing that you do or is there a little bit on either side of what you do as well? No, it's um, the main, it's been my life work for all of my, pretty much all of my adult life. Wow. And this has fascinated. Yeah. This has fascinated me for such a long time. So Let's not uh, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right into it. And I'm not going to get you to explain what it is now. I'm just going to ask you where it all began, and we'll just take everyone on the journey with us. Okay. It began when I was 24 years old, and I decided to study essential oils, which um, you know were pretty new at the time. So. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, the teacher was Robert Tisserand, and it was his second course um, ever in uh, essential oils. So it was all a very, very new subject, and um, I was pretty impressed with the results I had on myself. And then I decided to see 
if they would work for my father as well because it had um yeah, it had uh, cleared up a, a condition, a cystitis that I uh, suffered with um, on and off for many years. And so my father had uh, delverticulitis and he was bleeding every day from the colon and he was going to have a path removed. So I thought, okay, let's see if this works for you. And it did. Um, what was really important though, was understanding at that point how to use the oils correctly for the problem. So for example, um, it, it was my first lecture and I had cystitis. So I said, look, sorry, can't stay, got to get antibiotics. I've tried everything else, nothing works. So he said, oh great, you know, we can use you as a guinea pig. And I remember thinking, well, be quick because I, I need to get antibiotics or as it goes to my kidneys and I end up in hospital. And Anyway, it was like somebody erasing the pain from my back when he muscle tested me and I responded to uh, juniper, sandalwood and yarrow and he sort of massaged that over my kidneys. And I thought, whoa, this is pretty impressive. Um, the pain is disappearing. However, um, I still felt the next day that if I did something wrong, like drunk coffee or uh, wine, then it would come, you know, it would flare up because I felt it was hanging in there. So he said, which was super important, um, okay, take, uh, put two drops of yarrow in, uh, sorry, two drops of juniper in hot water. And I did, and it tasted you know, out of this world and I drank it and it cleared. So I was 24 years old. It didn't come back again until I was 45. And I, you know, I had been through quite a lot in my life um, with divorce and um, so on and so forth. So, you know, stresses and strains of a single, single mum and it never came back, you know. Wow. And um, so I was pretty impressed. So with my father, um, I thought, okay, let's do the same. So I was still training at the time and he responded to peppermint and lavender and I got him to, to go by, um, I must have tested, but then I got him to ultimately choose what he needed by um you know taste and smell which is how i work and i'm not quite sure why at what point because we weren't really taught that it just seemed very natural that you don't um take something if it smells uh, bad and mm. if it's good then you're attracted to it so he was super attracted to these two drinks and um he for, for about 14 days and then he totally went off them but he only bled again once three days later 10 days later um, and his colon repaired itself and he didn't have to have a part removed. He's now 93. Wow. So um, then I rescued a dog. And that was your <laughs> first two cases. Oh my God. That was my first case, one of me and one of my, one of my uh, dad. So I was pretty impressed. And at that point I wanted to tell the world about these miracles. Um, but uh, I don't think the world was ready. And I certainly needed to learn a lot more information really. Um, and uh, which I did with a lot of observational research um, and that which I later backed up with science. So then um, I rescued a dog and from Battersea Dogs Home and she was quite poorly in those days. You could rescue dogs that uh, were um, unwell and the vet did say, why did you rescue such a, a poorly dog? So, uh, and I said, because she was so sweet, she was a German shepherd and um, she responded to frankincense. She was, you know, she had had diarrhea. She, you know, if she did eat anything, it would just come out the other end. 
and um, yeah, she totally turned around. Dogs took though a lot longer to learn uh, how to really work with the oils successfully. So then I moved to California and I, um, I was in horse country. So um, I spent two years observing what horses selected for various problems and compiled a whole data of research. So um, horses were so easy to work, comparatively easy to work with, you know, much more so than dogs. They were very clear with um, showing what they needed. And is that and because dogs just love to eat anything and everything? No, no. No, it's because dogs are so subtle. And actually, they de- yeah, because the essential oils are um, secondary compounds, meaning they're medicines, not food, not primary, they actually don't. They, they do not select any remedies they don't need at all. So I've mm. never seen that. But, um, and they're really selective. Craigie, if you have two essential oils and if one is um, a lower quality than the other, they sometimes won't select it at all. They're, they're, they're more selective than the human with wow. getting the quality of essential oils because their noses are so refined. Oh, of course. And they only eat, uh, quote unquote, anything um, if it's food because they can store that as fat. Yeah. And so they can, you know, and and um, it might be needed for later, but anything that's um, not wanted, so perhaps it's bacteria and what they've just eaten, um, they will, if they're given the opportunity to eat grass, they will bring it up and get rid of it. They've got this amazing system. And when we hear of them poisoning themselves, it is only on things that have been artificially tampered with, such as, um, you know, rat poison, they can't recognize it. It's, it's yeah. coated with sugars, you know, so antifreeze, they can't recognize it. But, or there could be alkaloids, which um, have been in areas where they have never evolved. So, um, and when I say evolved, I mean in their evolutionary history. So essential oils are much older than alkaloids. Essential oils, uh, essential oil bearing plants, I should say, are... <clears throat> Um, uh, yeah, millions of years older than alkaloids. So they they were on the planet before the continents divided. Mm. So therefore, all animals are able to efficiently select, given the choice, the aromatic or, or the compounds within essential oils because they've evolved with them. So that information's in the DNA. Fantastic. So it's only yeah, it's only you know when you hear a point plant poisonings it's you know perhaps tropical plants you know being house plants you know that cats and dogs can't recognize so um or you know the only exception to the rule was grapes and i thought whoa you know that has been an evolutionary history there you know um why why can't they recognize it and i did a lot of research on that and found that um i found that um the first grape poisoning was 1988-1999, so why wasn't there any before then? And then I know, and it didn't matter if it was organic grapes or non-organic, so that was really confusing. And then um, I, um, yeah, I noticed that some meerkats were peeling the skin of some grapes. Um, sorry, not peeling. They were they were putting some rolling some grapes in green clay, which detoxifies them and not others, and parrots were peeling the skin of some grapes and not others. So was there something on the skin? Could it be a mycotoxin they can't recognize? So then 
you know, putting this out in a lecture that Karen Becker, a well-known veteran in America, uh, was on. And she said, yeah, you know, they've been looking at it too. And they think it's probably the cryo, uh, it could be down to cryolite, which is a which is a pesticide that's actually permitted for organic grapes. So, you know, usually poisonings can be explained. Um, so going back to the horses. <laughs> the, yeah, they, wow, that's just fascinating. It's so fascinating. Great. And horses like a bit easier to work with yeah so going back to the horses um they're they're very clear um and this is you know this is what i learned from my experience so when it was just applied topically on my back which is this is hugely important um it didn't cure me it got rid of the uh it got rid of a lot of the pain but the infection was still there Mm-hmm. For me, I needed to take it internally because the, the infection was internal. I needed to flush out my kidneys. It was like a natural you know, antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so um, I would, if, um, and, and there's a very big no-nos, you know, in a lot of the aromatherapy world, it was internally, internally. Um, I would have, I would be on antibiotics now. Um, had um and would i have both my kidneys i don't know if i just applied externally that's not to say you know drink essential oils but it's really important to be guided by taste and smell so mm-hmm. like my father you know it's two drops of peppermint tasted absolutely delicious you know a couple of times a day for 10 days and then the taste was horrible and that's how it works so how with food you know you eat that food very often even if you don't need it um, or you eat it until you're full. With plant medicines, it's com- you, the body works completely differently with them. So with plant medicines, you um, you take them until the smell or taste changes. So I put, and it mustn't be laced with sugar. It's got to be you know, pure uh, secondary compounds. So for example, I'll pass licorice fruit round in a class. And some people will love it and say, oh my God, this is amazing. And others will hate it. And then others might take two licks and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really sweet. And then they go, oh, that's really, um, you know, then a third lick will be really bitter. So that's their dose. Mm, yeah. And some people might take a teaspoon. So we all have different dosing mechanisms. Uh, sorry, we both have different, um, all have the same mechanisms, but we, we all have an individual dose. So getting the uh, right plant um, or... or uh, plant extract you're halfway there it's really cr- crucial to get the correct dosage uh, to get successful results and that's why I get such successful results you know if you take too much then um, uh, too, too much will be too much work on the body so uh, and the body's got to detoxify it too little and you're not going to get there Mm-hmm. So, and, and we all have this amazing ability to self-medicate. So through taste and smell, and that's why it's there. If we didn't have that, um, we would not, and all would have the animals survived that evolutionary history. Uh, evolution would have selected against animals that couldn't detect poisonous plants. They would have died out a long time ago. So, um, and it's not something that's been lost with domestication. Um, <clears throat> it's, you know, it's such an important survival mechanism that it would take tens of thousands of years to lose. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, going back- I just watch my horses walk around this place and they will stick their nose into a plant and they will sniff 
right through mm-hmm. and then they will take a nibble or walk on. And yep, sometimes absolutely. they will eat a whole thing and sometimes they will take one little bite and they will go forth. And it's really interesting to sit back and watch what they do sometimes. Absolutely. And then, you know, when people come in and, you know, you talk about ragwort poisoning and, oh, you know, can they really um, self-select? Well, usually they take ragwort if they're hungry, if the pasture's poor. And, mm. you know, one little nibble is not going to be the end of the world if the horse is in the wild and he would make his way to find uh, plants that are nutritious uh, because there will be um, not in an essential oil they're just secondary compounds but in um, other plants there is going to be some carbohydrates so um, <clears throat> you know plants are, where you haven't had the secondary compounds extracted so you have some sugars still in the plant so um, but given the choice they won't if, if they've got other food yeah. they won't eat right and, then and that's say, well, the they... key. That's the key that everyone as a horse owner needs to understand. There's a yeah. post going around the moment about marshmallow in, here in Australia. And it's like, yeah, but the, they will only eat the marshmallow if there's nothing else left. My horses walk past it. They don't touch it. I've got little bits here and there and it's not a big deal. It's only a big deal if you've got nothing else for them to eat. And then that's all the choice they've got left. Absolutely. And in the wild, you know, very often horses, I mean, in a way, horses in this respect, when you're not working with essential oils and you're working more with plants that still have sugars attached to them, that is more tricky. So for me, you know, working with dogs now is super easy. Whereas before, you know, it, they, they was, it took so much longer to learn because the signs are so subtle and they often mm. need such small amounts to achieve you know, amazing um, results um but anyway so going yeah back to horses you know we're looking at plants that are out there in the pastures um so yeah in in look at um let's say oh people are concerned about sycamore because you know once horses could take sycamore and now some horses are getting poisoned with sycamore Mm. um and that's actually to do with climate change so because the uh, seeds are staying in the trees longer, they're becoming more potent. And so the horse hasn't really evolved with this. Um, it, it's, it's a much stronger potency than how it was before. And that's why before they were okay and now. But they will adapt. You know, horses um, will begin to adapt to the changes. You know, not if the plant is, you know, super poisonous, obviously. But, you know, they really... Um, if, if it's been in their evolutionary history, they really don't eat these plants. And again, if, unless they're super hungry and they're looking for the carbohydrates uh, attached to it. Um, and you look at acorns as well. You know, why is it that some horses are okay with acorns and others aren't? You know, some mm-hmm. horses actually, you know, they say, oh my God, you know, it's, it seems to be fine and, you know, there's no loose stomachs. Well, acorns are full of tannins and tannins have, you know, both detrimental and therapeutic properties. So tannins um, will bind with protein. So they can be used as a wormer sometimes by the animal because it binds with, um, you know, prote- uh, worms are made of proteins, but it's also astringent. So it helps dry up things like diarrhea. So if it's being selected as a medicine, then all well and good. But if it's been selected because of its carbohydrate value, because Acorns are a tricky one because they're so full of carbohydrates, yet that animal doesn't need its medicinal properties, then that can be very detrimental to the horse. So in that case, there is a remedy out there, and the horse would generally go to forage and select plants rich in saponines, 
Um, and um, plants rich in saponines would be marigolds, um, aloe vera, and um, yeah, any sort of calendula, which is family of the marigold family. It's um, all the same, really interchangeable. So, <clears throat> you know, so any horse with acorn poisoning, you offer either the macerate, uh, sorry, the um, CO2 extract, you know, fresh marigolds, um, you will find that that's what they will select and um, they, they recover, um, in my experience, very quickly. So, um, yes, so, but when you're working with dogs, um, basically the main remedies offered are just essential oils or things that support the immune response, um, such as spirulina, barley grass, rosehip shells. Um, and, and those are nutrients which help the body heal itself. So basically how I work with horses, with dogs, is <clears throat> um, I first of all offer um, remedies to help the animal heal itself. And I, I'll give you an example. So uh, I was working with a horse um, at... Um, uh, it's Sarah Fisher's yard who's, who's with uh, T-Touch and this horse had she's the main T-Touch person in the UK um, headquarters that's the T-Touch method yeah. isn't it it's a form of body work yeah exactly Jack so Jones for those who don't know yes and so anyway she's um, there's this horse with suspected hind gut ulcers and I shared a vet from Australia on the course too and you know, so I basically offered barley grass and I offered rosehip shells, which I always do because, first of all, I want the body to um, have nutrients to help heal itself. Okay, so when you go on to the plant extracts, such as the essential oils, you're act they're actually doing the work for the horse. They're sort of outsourcing for stronger medicine. But when you're working with, say, barley grass, rosehip shells, um, you know, those sort of constituents, they're, they're stimulating the body to, to you know, combat anything it needs to, but also it makes the body, um, it will help the body strengthen itself to be able to take more essential oils. So you're supporting the enzymes within the body and uh, enzymes do many different things, such as you know, they're involved with detoxification of um, you know, compounds and substances amongst many other things. So, um, so for example, okay, so we go to work with this horse. This horse is desperate for barley grass. And he takes almost a kilo, which is a lot of barley grass. Um, and he, how you work with barley grass, because it's so light, you've just got to splash some water on the bottom and sprinkle some barley grass uh, over the top and you just keep adding it in there. They kind of get used to it and they don't, first of all, if you don't do that, they breathe it in and it, it goes up their nostrils and it freaks you know freaks them out a bit so you've got to just have a little bit of water underneath and then they get to work with the light powdery um substance um <clears throat> and then you have barley grass then you put down the rosehip shells right next door in a separate bucket and you'll find they will alternate so the vitamin c in the rosehip shells will help the absorption of the barley grass so if you just had the barley grass you you'll find they won't take as much as soon as you put the rosehip shells down if it's needed, you'll see they'll probably alternate between the two. That allows them to get as much as they can have to give to, to help really strengthen them. So anyway, but if you're offering a new 
um, you know, something new to them, like the rose of shells or the barley grass, and they're taking a lot, like this particular horse, then I always offer, in one hand, I have some peppermint, and in the other hand, I have some, um, uh, I have some German chamomile. And then the horse can, every now and again, can lick are even they the peppermint. Are they as oils or are they as herbs as well? Oils. They are essential yeah, no, oils. Yeah. So I have some, yeah, I've, I've offered them to begin with and just sort of see what, you know, they both support the stomach. So peppermint is um, a digestive Mm-hmm. and uh, it basically helps uh, digest food. That's so the number one for colic. And um, it also relaxes um, the muscles in the gut. So it's got this wonderful dual action of stimulating digestion, relaxing muscles, whereas German chamomile is also one of the other main oils um, selected for colic. So peppermint's more impaction, whereas German chamomile is more stress-related colic, but it's more inflammatory, you know, it works with inflammation. So if they're taking a lot of a new substance, I always, always make sure I offer, they're available in one on each hand, uh, the oils undiluted, and they'll come up every now and again and they might take a lick of the peppermint and they go back down. Or so you just put some. the drops on the palm of your hand and they come up and choose if they would like some? Yeah. I first of all make sure that they want it first. So they'd be mm-hmm. sniffing at it, maybe nibbling at the bottle, and I put some on my hand. If they want it very quickly, they use the underneath of the tongue, which is more richer in their vascular supply. Mm-hmm. And then as they want to slow up, they use the top, or they might do four licks from the top, one from the bottom, four licks from the top. And <clears throat> and it, you know, with each oil you offer them, they will have a slightly different application depending on the speed it needs to go into the blood. It's absolutely fascinating watching them. So this particular horse, he was working with, you know, supporting his um, core strength and all the enzymes plus selecting wind, uh, sorry, selecting peppermint and um, uh, peppermint and chamomile. So then um, I offer carrot seed, wild carrot seed, uh, which is amazing for repair it's quite a difficult one to read because a little bit goes a long way so people often think it's not needed when it really is and then um also um garlic and garlic is super popular with horses the essential oil and um anyway with both those oils he he sniffed and um put his ears back and went backwards and everybody said, oh, he didn't like that. And I said, yes, he did. Because he wouldn't sniff if he didn't want the oils. So to, when you're sniffing, you're breathing those aromatic chemicals into your body. Mm. Um, you, you know, all of us, you know, if we go past the field and somebody's put muck on it, we don't need to sniff to know it's there. Yeah. We know it's there. So as soon as we open that bottle, the horse has you know, so many more olfactory receptors than we do. They know exactly what's in that bottle when we open it. So they don't need to sniff it. So that was saying to me, okay, he was needing the oils, but something was making him annoyed. Uh, so my interpretation was, but I needed it to be confirmed. Um, was he just not, he knew he needed them, but he wasn't ready for them. So then day two, um, I go back. And he takes half the amount of barley grass and half the amount of rosehip shells. The previous day he had taken 750 grams of rosehip shells. So both are large quantities. Mm. Um, and then I offered him the carrot seed and he was so desperate for it. And he would use the underneath of his tongue and he licked it from under my hand. And this horse 
wasn't super comfortable with lots of people around him and he was yeah, absolutely fine we then uh when i went into the stable and then uh garlic was huge for him and every time he licked the garlic he passed gas and then more oh, gas wow. and then I it worked put, that fast it works wow. that fast and then uh, oh i have another you know still equine but this is a little donkey in sedona um oh it was amazing i'm actually working out there again um later this year doing a course but that was the most fantastic place to work um these because i had i had some really challenging cases and diana who runs the sanctuary really follows through with everything so i can really keep good records you know for the year afterwards so we had a little donkey and this donkey had been um it was their mascot you know this uh, donkey called eeyore and he had been really poorly and the vet thought he was on his way out uh i was there in the summer and he really hadn't it was about this time last year he hadn't eaten much really since february of um and they were having to syringe food into him and um he had sores all over his body he lay down most of the time um he selected lots of remedies uh, well mainly melissa thyme uh thyme essential oil uh carrot seed and um a lot of lime which supports the liver and i put out different buckets of water as well and you mark them and i put a few drops of each actually maybe 10 drops of each oil in in each bucket so thyme in one bucket melissa carrot seed he was also in pain i put wintergreen in another bucket and um but even after the session of working with him for a couple of hours i then said to dana you know offer his offer his mash and he ate the bowl of it so he went to a second bowl and he ate second bowl and i had melissa shelton with me as well she was um, on the course um <clears throat> studying how i worked and um from america and we both sort of thought okay we 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 stop here because he hasn't eaten this much you know for so long um and we didn't want him to have colic so i left oils behind you know just in case he looked like his stomach you know uh might need some help um after eating you know from from yeah, such a long break food wow and the next day um all the carrot seed water was drunk you know a third of the time and yes yeah, so you can measure you know how much they've taken in each bucket obviously you have fresh water available the donkey um was completely turned around you know she is so blown away you know i have updates all the time in fact i spoke to her the other day and he's yeah he survived the winter incredibly well you know there's no signs of rheumatism he's trotting around after by the big horses and you know it's it, it was that quick and then there was another horse called clise and i couldn't wait to work with him because he was in so much pain he had a condition that was damaging his liver but the pain in his eyes you know he couldn't be touched he couldn't have anybody work done to him and he wanted wintergreen but it was too strong you know if he licks it off the tongue it goes into the blood to the liver so i put it and he was desperate for it but he didn't you know he couldn't take it and so i put some in a bucket of water and he swiveled round and drank the bucket of water by the time i left he could have body work done to him um i've got a follow up in my book um but now a you know a completely different horse you know he can be touched you know he walks freely um yeah he's still you know in pain from time to time but um it's incredible what can be achieved because they can 
you know, the, the horse can tell me exactly what, what does he, she need to bring himself or herself back into health. And I never mix herbs together because they might want two drops of one. They might want to inhale another. They might want to lick under the tongue with another. And as I said, dosage is so important. You know, if, if, uh, and that's where a lot of us would probably be um, not going wrong, but haven't got all the information that we need to really make a big difference. Yeah, well, I think if it just be guided, trust your horse. And, you know, you asked me about the elephants, but um, the the trust I had to have in self-medication when I was asked to go to Africa and help with this um, uh, elephant that was eight months old, hadn't had been there for a month, hadn't responded to antibiotics. Uh, the wounds on, his, on uh, her back were so severe and uh, they were con- not only concerned for her spine, but it looked like a flesh of you know, a slab of meat when I went over and saw these wounds and that were exposed. And uh, they were concerned about septicemia. Her trunk had been mutilated by hy- hyenas. She had gashes um, out of her legs and her ears, and she was really depressed. So she was standing away from the other elephants. And she was scheduled to go and have um, an anaesthetic, um, uh, to be put under anaesthetic to have the wounds, um, to have deep cleaning of her wounds. But they were concerned she wasn't even strong enough for the anaesthetic. But the concern for septicemia was even greater. Now, in Africa, most elephants that have fallen into putrid well water, like she did, um, die of Klebsiella pneumonia. So she was a prime candidate, considering she... um, you know, considering she was so depressed as well and so many wounds all over her body. So the first thing I did, I thought, okay, I'm going to follow my cue from horses. What do horses normally select? Because they're herbivores. So they're they're very different. Working with cats is one category. Uh, Dogs are another category. And horses, herbivores are another. So uh, I, I tend to work with herbivores in a very similar way. So um, <clears throat> they respond to the same oils, but the application is totally different. So uh, anyway, so I got yarrow, which most horses select when they're wounded. And I put a little bit on the wound by her back to see if it would um, absorb. When it's needed, it just drinks, drinks in by the body. But it didn't stain the skin. So I thought, okay, uh, she doesn't need yarrow. Where shall I go? What shall I do? And then I thought, what, do, what would an elephant do in the wild? And I thought of green clay and red clay. So I put red clay over you know, these sort of fleshy wounds because they're rich in iron. And then I put green clay on top of that. And the wound initially looked so soggy. It was infested with flies. And I wish I'd taken a photo of it, but I'd literally just got out of the plane, uh, walked, you know, got a lit, you know, taken to the trust and then walked out to see her. Mm. And... The vet said, uh, I thought he was going to say, what have you done with Sinia? Because she, she looked, she looked, um, yeah, she, she had quite a lot of green and red clay over her. But um, he said, um, uh, he, he said, I can't believe the, the wounds, how good they look, you know, in such a short time. So he said, we can stop, we can cancel the anaesthetic. Wow. So, Thank goodness, we've got a chance. We've got a chance. Now, the only essential oil really that she wanted was garlic. 
And I had to really trust, this is a baby elephant, an orphan, that she knew what she needed and how much. And this is knowing that elephants can die within 24 hours if you give them cow's milk. They can't wow. deal with cow's milk. And so she's only a baby. She's such a baby yeah. and she still knows. Exactly. You look at garlic and you look at... Um, you know, you look at cow's milk and you would feel more comfortable with cow's milk, wouldn't you, than her mm. taking essential oil of garlic. But garlic saved her life. So wow. most days she took two, two meals of garlic and I had to really trust in that. And I recorded her. Yeah, I went out every four hours um, and she would take some garlic. She would take green clay uh, throughout the day. I would record, you know, that she began to integrate with the other elephants. Then she began to go down to the water hole and play. So... We were, you know, it, it was going really, really well until, um, oh yeah, then I noticed as well that um, when she was cleaned, which we tried to do as infrequently as possible because it was so stressful uh, with saline solution um, and because it was, um, you know, to get any of the neurotic tissue out, she mm. would take five mils of garlic. Why was she taking five mils of garlic? um on those days and then you know obviously it, it dawned on me that um her immune system would be down and so the bacteria would be taking hold and she would be so i've got videos of it where if i if i don't put it on the drops undiluted on my hand quick enough where she sucks really hard she'd get my hand and she'd drop it so the, the bottle drops directly the oil from the bottle onto her tongue and her wow. eyes are going really soft with ecstasy and mine this was streaming with with tears because it's so strong anyway and then i ran out of garlic she went through a 25 mil bottle i don't usually carry that much around with me and uh i thought okay well maybe she's strong enough to take something you know some of the other antibacterials you know garlic might have done a lot of the work she needed so i offered things like eucalyptus and she would just shake her head and walk backwards she didn't say anything and i thought oh no um and then i went you know i thought how can i help you you know i went into nairobi and i tried to find garlic essential oil and there wasn't any of those capsules but they wouldn't have been strong enough you know we're fighting something really you know really severe and anyway so then um I went up, I got up the next morning to see her at six o'clock and she hadn't drunk her milk. And I thought, oh no, the bacteria has taken hold. And so I went back into my room and I thought, what else can I do? And there was one oil I hadn't offered her, which is clove. And I'd always thought of clove as being, um, I don't know, teeth and tooth problems, but I got clove. And she did exactly what she did with the garlic. So she put her end of her trunk over the bottle of the clove. She breathed in and she blew out a lot of black debris. Now, elephants can't cough. So this really helps them clear all the gunk. And then she nudged her keeper for some milk. And I was so relieved, but she didn't drink her milk. So I then re-offered her the clove. And she went to, you know, mouth at it. So I put it on my hand and she drank, sorry, she licked the clove from my hand. <coughs> And then she nudged her keeper and um, she, um, she drank, she drank uh, her milk. Now, a few days after that, the, uh, somebody, I managed to get you know, one of the pilots to come in with some uh, uh, garlic oil uh, for BA. And um, 
she had virtually lost interest in the garlic by that time and uh, and she was pretty much losing interest in the clothes so she by 11 days uh, of being so desperate for garlic and then clove she was completely off all the essential oils uh, her wounds were uh, completely beautifully covered with granulation tissue the vet confirmed that the oils um, had saved the infant's life um, not only once but twice um, not only once twice he said it quite a lot actually and um, then he said he could have sat there you know forever just trying to think how can you dress an elephant's wounds and he said you know what better dressing than clay because it's antibacterial it allows the wound to breathe it draws out all the necrotic tissue mm. uh, it feeds it with you know uh, minerals and iodine and everything the wound needs to heal and, and it's so natural for elephants to cover themselves in it yeah and because of that now all the kenyan wildlife service because of sinia use green clay to uh, to treat all the wounded um, lions and rhino and elephants. So, you know, me having confidence in Sinia knowing what she needed and with the garlic, she would have died. If I had said, oh, I'm a little bit worried, um, I'm going to give her one meal a day, that wouldn't have been enough to get on top of Glepsiola pneumonia, which is what they die from. Uh, if I thought, oh, do you know, I'm going to take charge here and I'm going to give her five meals a day, that would have been an overdose. So, you know, the, the beauty of this work and the reason it works is because of the dosing mechanism. You know, if you, if you, go, if you take somebody else's medicine, okay, it will be a poison to you. But if you need it, it can bring, you know, it can restore life. Yeah. And that's the same as the essential oils. And so many people put them under a bracket and say, oh, you know, nothing should be taken internally and, you know, all externally and all in this way. Well, what are you trying to to treat what oils are you working with you know are you working with rose which is usually inhaled because you're working on the brain uh, and valerian you're working you know the animals working on the brain so they're more likely to inhale that or are they working with infection which needs to get you know the the aromatic chemicals in many cases need to get into the blood especially with herbivores and herbivores have a um you know they they have more um they have plenty of enzymes to break down different plant constituents and metabolize them because you know, they are uh, widely available in, in, uh, you know, in, in their foraging. So, um, you know, so having trust in self-medication saved this elephant's life who's alive today. Um, she's called Sinia, the Sheldrick Trust, and um, it can provide so much information. I have so many hundreds of stories um, where life has, been, has breathed back into the animal um, by using the oils correctly and um, with that particular species, be it cat, dog or horse. So, you know, the cat and the horse are the extreme. So the horse will um, often take the oil by mouth if it needs to work with urinary or you know, infection. Not always. Some horses are super sensitive and just the aromatic chemicals are enough to breathe them in. And that can, um, you know, if you think of it as a gas, you know, that sometimes is enough for some horses. Um, others need a stronger dose, uh, just like humans. And this, you know, with cats, it's inhalation only. And those little uh, aromatic particles are enough to 
you know, help break down kidney stones and so on and so forth. So it's all about dosage and it's not about it being poisonous or not poisonous. It's about what oil are you working with, what species, what dosage. And, you know, those oils can bring that animal completely back into health. I'm just about to get, oh, I've got so many case studies with cats too because, yeah, I, I think it's so unfair that cats, you know, essential oils have been given such bad press with cats because people might have put tea tree on a cat, which would poison them. Yeah, mm. You don't put essential oils on cats because they would lick them off. It's all about educating the people, but you can, I, you can save lives with essential oils and cats if you use them correctly. I've got a case up on my, on my site with lime, and um, this cat is... Um, uh, you know, under the vet's supervision, and it's um, got two weeks to live. It's got uh, liver failure, pretty much, and uh, the cat is selecting uh, lime. And lime not only supports the liver, but uh, it, there's a lot of academic research on its ability to inhibit tumours. And a lot of animals with gastric um, cancers will select lime. So anyway, this cat selected lime um, a, a lot every day by inhalation. And, and when they turn their head away, you don't follow with the bottle. And, you know, to, to the cat, they're turning their head to get the right dose. Um, and there is a technique, you know, it, it, it is a technique. It's not easy to do unless um, you, you have some kind of training. Um, because, you know, if you follow the bottle, if you follow them with the bottle, they have too much and they're scarper out of the room and you've missed your opportunity to help them so uh, when they turn their head away you just got to look at the eyes and breathing and if it's in a peaceful way you just keep the bottle where it is if it's a quick turn away then you take the bottle away because they've had their dose so it's it's getting the dosage right is really important but anyway this um this cat um yes yeah, selected it quite frequently over the first uh, you know, a couple of weeks, and then it went down and down and down to be, you know, you know, less and less and less, you know, once a day, a few times a week. And then I was seven months later, I got an email from her and thought she was going to say that Pepe had um, passed on and Pepe had had a vet check and was um, pretty much got the clear bill of health. He lived for four, four more years. He selected the oils um, off and on, mainly seaweed and, and lime, for um, seven months before he went off the oils completely and lived, she said, a, a wonderfully healthy life for four years. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I have cats who are, yeah, I have cats who are in pain. You know, in America, I was at a rescue center. This beautiful cat couldn't be rehomed because if he stroked his back, he would swipe. Well, he would swipe because his back's in pain. You know, so it's, it's not rocket science. If you go to a certain area and they swipe, it's like, don't touch there, it hurts. So this cat, wanted to inhale lots of wintergreen but when you're working with wintergreen you must understand you have also got to work with german chamomile because german chamomile uh, supports the gut so it's basically it's one of the main a lot of research on its effect um, against um, stomach ulcers so german wintergreen and birch are pretty much like any other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory in that um, they inhibit COX-1 and COX-2. Well, COX-1 protects the gut. So ultimately, you don't want to inhibit COX-1. And that's where German chamomile comes in because it supports the gut. It's like a gut guard uh, while they're selecting their pain relief. 
So, you know, there's all these techniques, and this is what has taken me my whole lifetime to really understand how to help an animal um, in, the sh in the most efficiently and uh, most effectively in the shortest amount of time. So, um, so what you do is um, you, know, you offer the remedies that support the stomach first, and he might actually choose ginger, you know. So if ginger is his, his uh, remedy, then keep ginger there if he's not interested in German chamomile. And then you, then you go in and you say, okay, what do you think of wintergreen or birch? And yeah, lots of sniffing. And then they will stop when they've had enough. But if you put a piece of cloth, so I work in a big dog crate because it's easier to, to work with, always making sure there's fresh air the other side. And so they can turn away from any aromas. So this cat we spent about 20 minutes inhaling the piece of cloth that had German chamomile on. Then he walked over to the wintergreen cloth and he fell asleep with his nose um, yeah, pretty close to, to the wintergreen. Um, by the way, when they sleep, they can still smell because the subconscious. Wow. And then he got, when he had done, he got out of his cage and he jumped on the top in the classroom. It was in uh, Wyoming. And uh, the cat uh, person, who rescued the person, stroked his back and there was no swiping. And then he got around and he went to every single student and every single student stroked him and he was purring. And <clears throat> wow. he could then be rehomed. It was, um, he, you know, he, he took it for a number. Sometimes that's all that's needed. Sometimes it can, you know, relax, um, you know, release a trapped nerve. And other times it can, you know, it just promotes healing to the area as well as being pain relief. Um, well, this cat got rehomed. But at the end of the day, I said to the girls, Okay, yeah, what did you learn? What's the, what's the most, what did you learn most from today? And they said, um, uh, they said, um, that I think everybody um, was in tears and mm -hmm. how they didn't realize that how important it is to know, you know, how to work with the owls and cats and not just to say they're poisons because this cat has his life back. Yeah, Peppy had his life back. Yeah. And I can give you, so many more stories of cats that have been alleviated from so much unnecessary suffering, but it's just to do with education. And, and before we all go running to our cupboard, pulling out all of our essential oils and running out and testing it on all of our animals, what do we need to know? So the education part seems important because there's ways things need to be done. So we shouldn't all run and just grab something and do it now. No, I mean, horses can be easier. So I would say, to be honest with you, I would, horses and cats are the easiest to read, but cats in a cat carrier. But horses are, um, cats are, you know, you've got, a, you've got, if you were working with a cat, you, you go in at a bit of a distance and, you know, you see what they're doing with an oil. You don't just go straight up, especially with an oil like lime because it's very volatile like oh it'd be too it'd be you know you ease them into it and sometimes they need to just get all their enzymes primed you know so they can work really well with you mm -hmm. so you know horses though you can go you know, take the lid off and then you sort of don't go too slowly but don't go too fast and you just go up to them and sometimes they put their whole nostril over the bottle um, sometimes you hold on to the bottle because if they're desperate for what's in it they might try and grab it from you mm. so uh, then I put it on my hand and um, sometimes they will spend time just inhaling it and then they lick around 
and then they lick in. So they don't necessarily go straight for their meds, you know, the medicines they need. Um, and, and we've also got to have a basic knowledge of what it is we want to offer and, and you know, we, we need to have some kind of understanding as well as, okay, let's just... Absolutely. So if you know they're in pain, so, for example, I had a horse that was dragging its back legs and, um, you know, he was a yearling. It had it flipped over and hurt his, it damaged his uh, neck. Mm. And uh, his prognosis was a year's box rest um, or put to sleep. And I went to see him at the weekend. He was due back to the vet on the uh, Wednesday and he was dragging his back legs. Now, when it's neurological, it could either be peppermint or it could be wintergreen. Uh, wintergreen is more sort of pain, muscular. He wasn't interested at all in the peppermint, so I offered the wintergreen, desperate for it. He licked two mils from my hand with the underneath of his hand. And then I put some on my fingers and I went down his neck really slowly, but almost like little circular touches going down his neck. And then when I got to C4, C5, his head dropped and his eyes went and his little mouth sort of quivered. And so I put quite a lot on my fingers and you know, kept applying it. He was free to walk away. By the way, every animal is always free to walk away. No one's ever tied up. There's always fresh air available. And, um, uh, and I um, put it on C4, C5 and, um, until he'd had enough. And you can see when they've had enough, their eyes either sort of become wide open or they walk away. Uh, they go from sleepy to wide open. And um, he literally walked normally. You can get his tail as well back to center. If you put it to one side, it would stay to one side. Now, the tail was still pretty much staying to one side and it sort of did move a little bit slowly um, going back to center. But he was walking and um, not dragging his legs. The next day, charging around everywhere, went back to the vets on the Wednesday at Langford uh, in the UK. And he said, yeah, you know, I can see his hooves are squared off and from dragging his back legs, but hey, he's fine. And um, I'm not going to put him through a myelogram or procedures, bring him back in six months. So that was wintergreen. Two wow. mils of wintergreen saved this horse from either put to sleep or a year's box rest. Yeah, you, know, you often hear, oh, wintergreen, oh, that's a dangerous old. It's, it's just like aspirin, and yeah, but it's better because it heals the body. Just wow. use it if it's needed. And they are medicines. You know, all mm. of these oils are medicines, and they need to be treated as such. And if they're needed, they can take suffering away, pain, and save lives. But if you give a medicine to any individual when it's not needed, then it's going to be toxic. You know, it's not rocket science. Yeah, wow. This is extraordinary, Caroline. It's as amazing as I thought it was going to be. So where can we find out more about what it is that you do? Because I'm sure everyone wants to know a heck of a lot more. I certainly do. I want to get that foundation of what the oils kind of mean. So if I see something, I can have that two or three things to, to think about and take to my animals. And that can all be learned in your courses, yeah? Yeah, I, my next, um, I'm going to cut down on traveling next year just to, um, <clears throat> oh yeah, looking at all the traveling I've done this year, it's about 22 planes I've been on. I can imagine. I think to help the carbon footprint, I'm going to do a lot more electronically, but mm. I'm still keeping to all my commitments this year. And I would say if anybody wants, is really interested, especially in learning on horses, 
I have the best facility I'm going to uh, be teaching at this year in Sedona, Arizona. And um, so that will be my last course out of England for, for a while because um, I'll try and do lots electronically. Um, but I would highly recommend that course. I'm doing all species there. Um, and if they want to, uh, my books, I have a new book called Animal Self-Medication, which is all species. And please don't see on the internet, if you go to Amazon, it, it's, it's, it only does Amazon UK, but if you went to, um, if you, it's not on any other Amazons, Australia or America, but it's got my other book, which is How Animals Heal Themselves. And somebody's selling it for 300 pounds. It's really not worth it. It's all old information. And I really wish it wasn't there. Um, but my book, my new book, which is all the latest, most efficient, safest information uh, on all species is called um, um, <clears throat> Animal Self-Medication. It's 500 pages, so it's double the size of my old book. And it's uh, softback is 55 pounds, hardback is 65. I mean, the postage is always uh, horrible because it adds but that's on. out of your control, that one. <laughs> exactly. We do just do, we do exact postage. Um, we don't add anything on. It's just horribly expensive. And, um, but yeah, so, um, and hopefully next year I'll be working or at the end of this year, working on doing more electronic training so people can download things but meanwhile you know books if you can make it to my Sedona course I would highly recommend that because I'm doing all species together there um and um what else um my I do I put stories up on my um I put stories up on the uh Facebook my Facebook page and um my website Sometimes I get a bit behind because it's always quite busy. Um, so and your website I, is carolineingram.com. And what's your Facebook page? I'll put uh, it do you know, I just basically go, it's, it's Caroline Ingram, but the easiest way to get to it, because there's the personal page, which I never do anything with, and you've got to go into sort of the business page. Um, so it's easier. Just go to my website mm-hmm. and then um, click on Facebook. Then you get ah, straight there. Brilliant. That's and much easier. Stories and everything. Um, try? Oh, if you wanted a, a, a session uh, with your animal, I do offer Skype sessions as well. But if it's with a horse, it means somebody's got to hold a laptop and you've got to have internet signal. Yeah. And then I can work with you. But you do need to get a mini kit because then I can say, okay, you know, okay, let's offer peppermint now or, okay, let's go and see what he's thinking of garlic. And so I can work with you remotely. But you need to have the oils at hand so I can guide you. Fantastic. Well, it's something that I'll be looking a lot deeper into because I think it's fascinating and it, it makes sense. So to me, um, some people would listen to this and they'd think it sounds crazy. To me, it sounds logical because well, this is what's been happening for so many years before humans interfered and thought they knew better. So well, to be yeah. honest with you, uh, sorry, sorry, continue. No, you're right. That was it. Okay. So um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I mean, this is not alternative. This is what animals do to heal themselves. You know, basically. Exactly. Modern medicine should really be called um, alternative because that's much newer. 
it's only what, how many hundred years old, whereas um, this has been going really since time began. So this is how animals heal themselves. And what we do is we bring a whole cornucopia of remedies to the animal. So they have the, you know, so basically <clears throat> if we're working with stomach problems that we think there might be, so you offer you know, five or six different stomach remedies, you know, perhaps it's ginger, German chamomile, peppermint, fennel. And then I also offer um, antibacterial remedies. So I always offer antibacterial and stomach together because um, uh, often the stomach, if it is unbalanced, so does the bacteria in the gut become unbalanced and um, it, they work well together. Or I work with uh, lime oil. Uh, sorry, I work with uh, liver remedies um, such as lime, uh, carrot seed, seaweed, um, especially if there's you know, um, any adverse reactions to any vaccines or medication, then seaweed extract, not the herb, the herbs are more magicianal, needs to get into the blood and draw out any sort of heavy metals, which is what it does do. And there's a lot of research on this. So a lot of my work is backed up by science. Um, I have had the advantage where I've been able to study the pharmacology and pharmacokinetics of the plants, plant chemicals I work with, um, as well as having um, a lifetime of observational research um, with a diverse you know, cross-section of species watching them heal themselves. Um, so there's also um, uh, papers published on the subject, but that's more zoo pharmacognosy, which is the study of how animals heal themselves in the wild. Uh, Professor Hoffman is one of them, and he's sort of been watching ch chimps and how they heal themselves, you know, from parasite burdens and so on and so forth. Um, but what my life work has been is working with more captive um, and domestic animals and <clears throat> uh, researching um, everything really that, that's um, associated with it. Wow. Well, can I say I... one thing? Please say whatever you like. Tell moment. me more. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's um, it's it's been re it's, it's been revolutionary really in, in my work. But I found that pretty much all behavioural problems, even this with dogs, um, even fear of thunder, um, fireworks, it stems by um, a discomfort that we can't see, and uh, time and time again. I demonstrate this, you know, because a lot of my courses have either been in uh, places like Sedona where there's thunder every afternoon or, you know, the times when I've been in the sort of rainy thundery seasons in, uh, when I was in um, Brisbane, you know, I could show them, you know, so there's a dog in Brisbane who terrified of thunder, but only after I'd worked with uh, urinary uh, spade oils to support a spay, even though that was years beforehand, because they can get adhesions, which isn't really that obvious, because um, it's not always going to cause infection. It can cause just inflammation of the bladder or colon, be super uncomfortable. Different dog, absolutely different dog. And time and time again, I've got you know, stories I could just you know, talk for another hour telling you hundreds of stories where dogs that have been. Um, you know, that are terrified or bouncing off the walls. Um, the problem is resolved that quickly in front of your eyes in class. 
um, by using uh, by offering different remedies. So you, I go through all the organ systems. I begin with urinary bladder and offer oils for that, and I, I take a couple from each section. Then I go to stomach, antibacterial, liver, and I kind of get a feel, and then pain. Um, and then you can go into hormones afterwards. I do hormones almost last because they can be a sedative. I don't want to put that hyperactive dog into sedation with Larian because I'll never find out why he's hyperactive. Mm. I need to find out the problem. So, and pain, you, so many dogs are in pain that we don't know about in between the shoulder blades, if they've had their tails docked, you know, they want it on the sacrum because the pain can shoot up the spine. You know, and how many times does our behavior change when we're, when we're not um, in good form? Feeling you know, good, feel, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can eat something that's a little bit off and my mood can change or I can eat something that I know I probably shouldn't have eaten and my mood can change. It, it really is that, that fast exactly. for us as humans, yeah. And people and on, with headaches. On this, yeah, on this podcast, we talk a lot about we believe that most behaviour problems with horses comes from a very good reason and usually it is some form of pain. So I love this is just another level to add to what it is that we've been talking about for so long. Oh, okay. Amazing. Oh, yes. And you just reminded me, I was working with a horse just quite recently and um, they wanted me to, they thought the horse might be having sweet, have sweet itch. I don't know if you get that too much in Australia. We do, it's, yeah. It's called Queensland itch here. It's very specific. Okay. So, um, she was rubbing, you know, she was pushing her tail against the wall, but she didn't want any sweet itch remedies. Okay. Nothing for skin or itchiness. Okay. Now, if you think about why would you as well, what would be another reason to push against the wall if it's not pinworms or um, sweet itch, being a bit itchy? Now, if you've got, if there's cramps, menstrual or, you know, anything in that sort of reproductive area, if there's any pain there, <coughs> we, we bend over, don't we, and hold, hold our stomachs. They can't do that. So to push would take the pressure off. So then I thought, okay, I wonder if there's anything going on there. And St. John's Wort CO2 oh, is amazing for reproductive pain. So this horse uh, then just almost fell to sleep. Normally she doesn't like to be touched in that area. <coughs> when St. John's Wort was applied. Uh, so you can just get so much information. She was having menstrual cramps, but it wow. um, or something similar. Um, but it's easy to think it's something else. So you go with something else, and if they're not selecting it, you think, okay. And then about four hours later, she went back to have a push again, offered the St. John's water, and she stopped mid mid pushing. So it was, you can see then that that is, you know, pain relief. Um, with the CO2, it's sometimes a bit thick and waxy, and you might need to mix it with a little bit of oil to smooth it on. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's – and so many – behavior problems you know if you think you've got you know some people with a headache get grouchy yeah. maybe that's you know with migraines and you know it's i know when i had cystitis i was the type of person to want to hide away i'd be that dog you know hiding under the table mm. but if i've got flu i'm that dog that wants to be super loved yeah uh, <clears throat> i have all the attention in the world um so we all have a different behavior that we go to with a different condition yeah, and others get grouchy, and you think, "Oh, you got a headache today because you're a bit grouchy." And I think, "Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> I got a really bad migraine." Um, 
so and that's the same about animals so yeah you've been um sometimes i do a full lecture just on talking about that and um and you can find out what's wrong basically so what you know what's going on with the animal i got hundreds of stories i could tell you so maybe we have to have another podcast but that's more yeah 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 that's brilliant i'm I'm so (laughs) blessed that you've been so generous with your time so for now caroline i will say thank you so much for your time today but more importantly thanks for what you're doing for the world of animals and educating us humans because this is incredible and i'm so so glad that i've got you on this podcast and we can get this out to my community our community because i think they're going to love it as much as i do thank you thank you and my son lives in brisbane so i can always maybe if i pop over oh, to see him you'd best be visiting and we'd best have a little catch up and workshop while you're here maybe because you're traveling anyway that's brilliant <clears throat> yeah yeah so even though i'm going to cut back on the huge number you know there will be um i will obviously pop over from time to time and say hello to my son but i'm gonna uh he works at the university there at queensland university and um and and actually has helped me with a lot of my research um so yeah so there is a little link there which would be great wonderful i'm so looking forward to that day thanks a lot caroline thanks again okay all right to connect with caroline please follow the links in the show notes or on my website. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show. As Patreon members, you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again. And remember, any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you as a subscriber will have a say in. You could also pop over to EdenRiverEquestrian.com and see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that boost the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world you could also share this podcast with a friend tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy all the links you need can be found in the show notes thanks again for listening and i'll catch you next time on come along for the ride